Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Good. You're looking good. But you knew that. You knew that already. I'm so happy to see you guys. So happy to have you as a part of what we're doing today here. Recreate Church, where our motto is, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. It's a beautiful day, so nice to see more of our seats filled, you know. The bounce back, it's happening. It's happening. You know, there are two types of people in the world. There are people who get in the right lane in exactly enough time to get off on the ramp. And then there are people who need to get in the right lane five miles ahead. And these two people get married. Yeah. One spouse doesn't like driving on the interstate, but that does not stop them from being the expert on interstate driving. I've noticed this is a pattern. Why does the spouse who is an expert on driving not drive on the interstate but instead instruct the other spouse on how they should be driving on the interstate. Would you like to drive? No. I'll tell you how to drive. Um, in all fairness to a very important person in my life who is not present at the morning service, who comes to the evening service, and, and who doesn't need to know about what I'm saying now, okay? Because I'll know it's one of y'all that told it. In all fairness to that person... Sometimes I do miss exits, and uh, sometimes I do need a reminder because my mind is so full of the things of God that i am just got visions of heaven in my mind, and that's what it is, right, Billy? That's what's going on. That's why I miss the exit, not because I'm thinking of something dumb. It's because I'm, just, you know, so full of the, so full of the something, something. It's a pain, though, when you miss your exit on the highway, isn't it? It's a problem, because you know you're probably going to be late. I hate being late with a passion. Uh, I should probably pay attention to my exits a little better. I hate being late. And, and if you're driving somewhere you're not familiar with, or, or um, you've got a, like a GPS going, or it's on the phones now, it's probably going to try to reroute you. I remember the years ago when we got a GPS the first time, this thing had the most condescending voice. You don't know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Recalculating. Just so condescending. I know what it really meant. It said recalculating. What it really meant was, you missed your turn, dummy. Again. Then you missed the other turn I told you to turn. I could do without that. I'm glad that, uh, you know, I use Google Maps now and it doesn't have a voice, or at least I turned it off. And uh, so it doesn't give me that condescending. Recalculating. It just shuts up and helps me get where I'm going, okay? Anybody else need that in your life? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't need a computer to tell me how I messed up. I already know. I'm, I'm really good at that, knowing when I messed up. At least, I think I am. So, it's, it's a problem when you miss your exit. It's a problem when you make a bad turn or on the wrong road. But it's, it's even more of a problem when you feel that way in your life. It's like, my life is in a place I didn't think it was supposed to be. And I, I, I thought I would have reached some of these goals by now, but instead, I'm recalculating. I didn't, I didn't see myself at this spot. I, I thought I'd have life figured out by now. Instead, I'm recalculating. 
I thought I would have whipped all of these problems in my life. I wouldn't have these bad habits anymore, but, but I'm still, say it with me, recalculating. Yeah. We find ourselves on an unexpected road, and we're, we're so sure it's an interruption to the life that we ought to be living. And it can be, but I just want us to understand we can get so caught up in fretting over being in a place we didn't plan to be that we miss what God is doing in the place we're at. Maybe we're not um, at the point in our lives that we had imagined, yet God is just as present and just as active and working just as hard and he's doing big things in our lives. I want to show you from the life of a man named Joseph. Joseph seemed to miss every exit. He had a good plan. It looked like he had a good life ahead of him. But he keeps getting pushed off on the wrong exit or missing the exit altogether. He had these big dreams. Dreams that were good. Dreams that he was not only thinking were from God, but were absolutely and unequivocally from God. Good dreams. And yet, every turn seems to make his life harder. He seems to be getting farther away from the dream rather than closer. It'd be easy for him to interpret this as a negative sign. God told him one thing. Life seems to be telling him something else. Can y'all feel that? Absolutely. How can, how can he make sense of that dis disconnect? How can we make sense of it when it seems God has, has given us a direction and yet we, we keep getting knocked off course one way or the other, or we miss our exit, or we, we take the wrong exit. How we choose to interpret our circumstances is nearly as important as the circumstances themselves, or, or maybe more important. Today we're going to learn from Joseph's story that interpretations belong to God. Very often, we are quick to interpret our God by our circumstances when we should be interpreting our circumstances by our God. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39, the end part of that, and the beginning of verse 40 today. This is in the Old Testament. We've been following the story of Joseph, and really fascinating here. I'm going to read some for you, and uh, then we'll pray and we'll get into the story. It goes like this, Genesis 39, beginning of verse 19. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. And then Joseph, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all of the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Heavenly Father, I pray you'll make this prosper this morning, that you'll speak to us through this word, speak to us through our fellowship and our time together, and show us that the only sensible way to see this world is to see it through you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's catch it up to real time. Let's get Joseph up to real time. Joseph started out of life doing pretty well. Well, have you, ever been, uh, have you ever been like on the interstate or somewhere and you missed a turn or you got off on the wrong exit, exit not because you're daydreaming, 
but because the other drivers wouldn't let you over? Isn't that for us? Don't they know you got things to do? And the, the later you are, the, the worse, the badder other people drive. They, they don't drive that bad all the time. They know you're running late. And they won't let you get over. Well, it feels like that. And it certainly seemed like that for Joseph. He is, he's not making the wrong turns on his own. His own family is sort of shoving him into a different lane. His brothers really turned against him. He, he was on track for a fairly easy life, but his, his brothers knocked him off course. God had given him prophetic dreams promising that he would rise to a position of leadership over his family. But his brothers were incredibly jealous. They already didn't like him, and that was the last straw. So his brothers captured him, threw him in a hole, and sold him to slave traders. He's off on a wrong exit here, it seems. The slave traders sold him to an Egyptian high official named Potiphar. So now Joseph, who seemed to be on track for a good life, is on a road he never expected to be. And, and what's that word the GPS says when we made a wrong turn? He's recalculating. He's recalculating. And he does. He recalculates. He, he apparently turns to the Lord. He makes the best of it. And he is, unfortunately, terribly a slave in a household. But he learns how to be a leader by being a servant. Isn't that something? That's how it works in God's economy. He learns for the first time in his life to be completely responsible. He learns servant leadership. He becomes the type of person who can be trusted with authority. He didn't have that before. He never had the opportunity. Do you think his brothers were going to let him be a leader? No way. As soon as he said anything about it, they threw him in a hole. So it seems like he has. Uh, he, he's not where he thought he would be, not where he planned to be, but he's making it work. Kind of like us, right? Maybe things, not everything's worked out how we planned or how we thought, but we're, we're trying to make it work. He's, it, it, is that going to last for Joseph, though? Those of you who know the story, is that going to last? Uh, no, it's not. His boss's wife throws himself, throws herself at him repeatedly. And he turns down her advances. He turns down her advances. And finally, he does it so definitively. Um, Nick did such a great job with it last week, telling the story of, of Potiphar's wife and how she came after Joseph. He literally ran out of the house. She had a hold of his clothes. He ran out of the house in his under, undergarments. And uh, she was so angry at being jilted that she accused him of rape. So Joseph was thrown into prison not for doing the wrong thing, but for doing the right thing. Wait, that's not supposed to happen, is it? Mm. On this planet, it kind of does. That's the way life on earth works so much of the time. That it's not necessarily a, a one for one, do the right thing and the right thing happens. Now, grand scheme of things, God's going to even up that score. It's going to be okay. But in the short term, it doesn't always Look that way. He's knocked off track again. He's missed another exit. He's recalculating again. Again. And he doesn't give up. Got to give Joseph some credit. He's very resilient here. While he is in prison, he is apparently such a model prisoner that he, he, he finds a way to make it work. And the, the guy who keeps the prison puts him in charge. 
I've heard of inmates running the asylum and stuff, but this is like for real here. He, he is knocked off track. He is recalculating, but he finds a way to make life work, even though it isn't what he hoped or expected. And we feel that too, don't we? We find ways to make life work. Has your life gone exactly how you planned? So I heard some laughs. I love that. That's some, that's some people with some, uh, with some experience here. Okay, life has not gone how we planned necessarily. But you found a way to make it work, right? I assume, I mean, you're here. You are here. You did get up this morning. You got out of bed. That's a miracle. Not everybody can do that. That's a miracle itself. You're here. Don't just assume that because you aren't on the road you thought you'd be on, that the journey's over. Joseph's in prison, but he's prospering in prison. Prison turns out to be the exact place he needs to be. Now, that doesn't sound right, to be prospering in prison, but it's true. The moment you're in right now, hopefully isn't like prison. I hope it's a lot better than that. But it may not be what you wanted or what you planned. You may be dealing with some stuff that you didn't want to deal with. Some, some troubles or some ailments or some trials or some struggles. But I want you to know that's part of your journey too. Every heartache and every struggle and every pain God is using for his glory and for your good. And we don't hear that enough. Joseph's about to get some company in prison. And it's going to add another wrinkle in his story. This is in Genesis 40. I'm not going to read most of that to you. It's a long passage. It'll be like about first verse down through verse 23. We're, I'm just going to tell it mostly like a story, and then I'll pick up a specific verse here. So um, this wasn't just any prison. This was the prison where they sent high-level people. Important inmates were kept there. It just so happened that Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, had sent two of his important officials to prison. <coughs> One was the cupbearer, or butler, we might call him. The other was his chief baker. A butler and a baker. That doesn't sound like a high official, does it? But just think, in the ancient world, a high-profile leader like Pharaoh always had to be on the lookout for a very specific threat, and that was assassination by poisoning. And who has the most access to the food and the drink of Pharaoh? The butler and the baker. So they have to be in very trustworthy. And the scripture doesn't tell us why they're in prison, but it might be that the Pharaoh began to be suspicious that they were trying to, you know, they were plotting on him. That might be why they were there. That's a, a good possibility. So as we read a little earlier, Joseph has risen to a position of leadership in the prison. We don't really know what that means specifically, but apparently he was kind of taking care of things. And uh, he's still a prisoner, but the warden has entrusted him to just about everything. And he's making his rounds one morning. And he sees these two guys look like they've had a rough night. Have you ever seen someone who you can tell when you first lay eyes on, man, you didn't sleep good last night. I see a guy like that every morning when I look in the mirror. Anybody else? Can I get a witness? It's like that, dude. Hey, buddy, you look, you look rough. I have learned not to tell anybody they look tired. You look tired. Because they will interpret that as, you looking bad. 
Don't do that. Especially don't say that to a lady. Don't say, you look tired. Because they're not going to hear you look tired. They're going to hear something you did not intend. So what you need to do, if you see a lady looking tired, you say, how may I serve you? Especially if that lady is the lady you share your house with. Just free advice, free advice there for you. So he sees these guys and they are looking rough. He's like, man, what is wrong with you? You look bad. And, and both of them explain that they have each had a weird dream the night before. I get that. If you ever see me on Sunday mornings looking like I haven't slept, it's probably because I had a weird dream that something weird went wrong on church. Like, preachers have weird dreams, y'all. I wish I had, like, cool dreams like Joseph's having, but no, I just dream that, of technical difficulties, okay? And my dreams generally come true in one way or the other. So, uh, yeah, they, they said, we both had a weird dream. We know it means something, but we don't know what. Oh, oh, Joseph heard the word dream. Now, that's important. That ought to get his attention because, if you remember back in the story, what is Joseph's special gift related to? Dreams. Remember, that's the thing that he got in trouble with his brothers for all those years before. Why they didn't like him? Because he had a dream that had a meaning. Now, to this point, we haven't read that, that Joseph has had a history of interpreting dreams, only having the dreams, but he must have felt sure that the Lord would help him with this interpretation. He says, well, tell me the dream. And he says something very specific here that we need to catch. The, the Lord was speaking to these guys. These guys were, hey, they weren't saved people, but he was speaking to them through dreams. If you look in the scripture, that happens quite a bit. And let's read Genesis Chapter 40, verses, verse 8, that's what's up here now. I want you to catch the highlighted bit there especially. Joseph, it, it goes like this. And they said to him, we have each had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. Oh, my goodness. Do y'all know how big this is? Do not interpretations belong to God. I don't know how many times I've read this passage, but that has never stood out to me so clearly as it has this week. Do not interpretations belong to God. It has been said that 90% of life, or 10% of life is what happens to us, and 90% of life is how we interpret it, you know, our attitude about it. I don't know if the math actually works out on that, but it's very true that how you interpret and respond to your circumstances will greatly impact the quality of your life. If someone throws a cheeseburger at you, you might not appreciate them unless you're hungry. You got me? Anybody got a cheeseburger? No? Okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm moving on, moving on. You know, it's all a matter of interpretation, all right? Interpretation changes everything. A mistaken interpretation can cause you to totally misread a situation. Many, many years ago, there was a, a prominent church leader named Jerome. Jerome, he lived in the first several centuries after the resurrection of Jesus, and he was given the daunting task of translating the Hebrew Old Testament into Latin. And I don't want to get too deep here, but Hebrew, ancient Hebrew was tough because there were no vowels. There were no vowels um, 
written down. It was all consonants. So when interpreters or readers would go through it, they would have to understand what the word is enough to insert the vowels into the word. And if you inserted the wrong vowels, it might change everything. Well, Jerome was in, interpreting and translating that passage about Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. All right? And his, his face is glowing. You remember that story? That's a cool story. And uh, instead of putting some... some E's into this word. He put some A's into the word. And it no longer, it was not translated as Moses' face was glowing. It was translated as Moses has horns. So if you look in some, you know, some very old statues and paintings of Moses, he has some horns for some reason. And it's weird. And the whole reason was some guy mistakenly put some E's in a word instead of some A's in a word. It's so easy. And that, that completely changes the situation. Moses is such a cool character, right? I mean, but if you meet somebody who you thought was cool and it turns out they have horns, it would probably make you sort of like, you know, let's ask some more questions about this guy. And uh, how about one more that's a little closer to home? And what Michael Shockley message would be complete without a reference to KFC anyway? So everyone knows the famous slogan of KFC, right? What is it? Finger licking good. You know, living through a pandemic has changed my perspective on that. I, I don't I don't want to be around any fingers that are being licked, okay, at all. Like this changed it, but you know, up until that point, that sounded like pretty pretty good. You know, that sort of ruined the KFC catchphrase for me, but uh, it kind of got ruined before then because when, when KFC moved into China, they wanted to translate their catchphrase into Chinese. Finger licking good. And they translated it the best they could. But instead of finger licking good, it said, eat your fingers off. Um, I don't think that's going to work. It's just, it's an interpretation, but it's not a good one. People always assume they can interpret things very well. But we know that's not true, don't we? Because we have people in our lives that we care about and have relationships with, and 90% of the problems between people is some kind of misinterpretation. Somebody had the wrong tone, and somebody said the wrong thing, or somebody was being weird. Sometimes my wife says, why are you being weird? And I don't know what she's talking about. I'm just being myself. I don't know. I can't put it together. Why are you being weird? And... It snowballs, right? That one little misinterpretation of someone's words or tone or posture, and it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. So as much as we like to think we're good at interpreting things, we're not so good at it. So let me ask you this. If it's true that 90% of the quality of our life is influenced by the way we interpret our circumstances, how crazy would we be? to trust our own judgment instead of seeking wisdom from God Almighty who understands the circumstances. We only think we understand. We think we know what something means, but God knows. If you're looking for a life scripture, I'll throw this one out there. I think I put Proverbs chapter 3 in the, in the scriptures here. Proverbs 3. Verses 5 and 6, if you're looking for a life scripture, this is one of the very best. I see some recognition on some faces right now. 
It goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. If you lean on your own understanding, you risk misinterpretation. You'll put some horns on somebody. Mm-hmm. Got a little real there, didn't it? Yeah, that one in my notes. That's a free bonus for showing up today. You'll put some horns on somebody who wasn't really being devilish. They just stubbed their toe right before they said that, and that's why their tone was a little weird. I just said, I'm real sensitive to tone, so beat me up all you want, but don't talk mean to me. I'll cry. They're trying to figure out if I'm being serious. <laughs> Interpretations belong to God, not to man. If you really want to make sense of your life, you better interpret your circumstances by what the Word of God says, and then you can make some sense of it. Joseph told the butler and the baker that the Lord would help him interpret their dreams. They didn't know. They did not know. If someone walked up to you and said, hey, I can help you interpret your dreams, you'd be like, oh, okay, guy. <laughs> okay, um, just stay here. I'm going to go over to this place, and you stay here. You know, they didn't know, but they said, why not? Let's give it a shot. And uh, the butler described his dream like this. He said, in my dream, I watched a grapevine grow. And the grapevine divided into three branches. And each of the branch, each of the branches grew a beautiful cluster of grapes. And in my dream, I squeezed the cluster of grapes into Pharaoh's special cup. And I gave the cup to Pharaoh. What do you think that means? The Lord gave Joseph the interpretation. And he said, the three branches represent three days. Within three days, you will be returned to your position of handing the cup to Pharaoh. You will be, again, his cupbearer, his butler, within three days. Hey, that's good news. Joseph added, when you're restored to your office, when you're there with the Pharaoh every day, can you please put in a good word for me? Because I was stolen away from my homeland when I was still a teenager, and and I haven't been able to get back. And even now I'm in prison, not because I did anything wrong, but because I did anything right. Can you please put in a good word for Pharaoh? I need to get out of this mess. So the baker heard the interpretation for the butler, and it was good. So he's thinking, well, okay, maybe this will be good news for me. So he says, listen to my dream. Here's, here's my dream. The baker tells his story. In my dream, I had three baskets on my head. I know you're thinking what I'm thinking. How big is this guy's head? <laughs> to put three baskets on it. I think they were stacked. That's what I'm interpreting. That's my interpretation that these baskets were stacked one on top of the other. And it's a dream, and I don't think it's limited by real-world physics. So he said, in my dream, there are three baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket, it was full of baked goods, all the things that I would bake for Pharaoh. And birds came and ate the bread out of the basket on top of my head. What do you think that means? Joseph's face must have fallen when the Lord gave him this interpretation. He said, indeed, the three baskets represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh is going to remove your head from you. And he's going to hang your body on a tree and the birds, the scavenger birds, will pick away your flesh. Ew. No, no, no. That's not good. What happened? Three days later, Pharaoh throws a birthday party for himself, and he restores the butler to his office, but the chief baker was beheaded and hanged on a tree, and the scavenger birds 
ate his flesh, just as Joseph predicted. So the, the butler got a good interpretation. The, the, the baker got a bad interpretation or, or a, a negative interpretation. What if the baker had insisted that the interpretation of his circumstances was wrong? Well, would it have changed anything? No. Interpretations belong to God. If we want to make sense of this world and our experiences in it, we have to view everything through the lens of faith, through the lens of the Word of God, through the lens that we have a Father in Heaven who cares about us. Joseph is sad for the baker, I'm sure. But he's happy for the butler, and he's happy for himself because now he's got a friend right there with Pharaoh, a friend who's supposed to put in a good word for him, right? Now this mess is finally going to get straightened out, right? He's finally going to get to go home, right? No. The butler forgets all about Joseph. And he sits in prison for two more years. He's missed another exit. Literally, his opportunity to exit from prison. So he's recalculating again. Mm. How should Joseph interpret his situation? He's helped other people with their dreams. But what about his dreams? You ever find yourself saying that? So I'm helping other people meet their dreams. What about my dreams? What about the dreams God gave me? You know, he, he keeps getting knocked off track. God gave him dreams, good dreams, years before, but they haven't come true. He was supposed to be a leader over his family, but he's in prison in a foreign land. How is he supposed to interpret this situation? It'd be easy for Joseph to look at the repeated setbacks and interpret that to mean, God had forgotten about it. How would you feel if you were Joseph? How, how, would, you, how would you interpret it? Well, how, how do you feel when life takes a rough turn? Or you feel like you missed a turn and you're recalculating again? When you keep experiencing setback after setback, how do you, how do you make sense of that? Hear this. Hear this, please. All of the setbacks and wrong turns and missed exits in Joseph's life weren't an interruption of his journey. They were his journey. God was using all of that to get him where he was meant to be. The dream was going to come true. In the meantime, he needed to be careful not to misinterpret his circumstances. Years later, 1,500 years later, there was a, a group of 12 friends who greatly misinterpreted their circumstances. They had been following this great spiritual leader, and it seemed he was going to set up a kingdom, and it seemed he had all the power, he had all the answers, but suddenly this leader whom they are following has been captured and executed and buried. How should they interpret it? Well, after the crucifixion, the 12 disciples interpreted it to mean that it was over. That this, the kingdom of heaven had come to an end, that Jesus was maybe not who they thought he was. They interpreted it like that. But was that true? For the time between the crucifixion and the resurrection, they were sure it was over. 
They, in, they had misinterpreted the situation, though. Interpretations belong to God. Crucifixion was not a defeat. It was only a setup for the victory of the resurrection. So understand how you interpret your circumstances makes a huge difference. We look at our circumstances and we use them to interpret how we feel about God. We say, well, because this is good, God must be good. Or because this is bad, I'm not so sure God still cares. We, we view our God through our circumstances. But we must not do that. We must not interpret your, our God through our circumstances. We must interpret our circumstances through our God. Whatever you're living through that is tough, it is part of a bigger story that is outside the here and now. So right now, here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask God to make sense of our circumstances. I mean, even, even if you've been walking this walk with Jesus for a long time and you know heaven's waiting on you, it can seem like it's a long way off. And right now, the road is rough and steep. Ask God to make sense of your life. And I'm going to tell you right now, it, it, maybe it's time for some of us to stop messing around and finally commit our hearts to Jesus. Have you trusted in Jesus as Savior? Have you really said, God, here is my life. I believe in Jesus. I want to be saved. I, I, I want to be, I want to have a new life. I want to be remade. I want to be born again, to use that phrase. Is it time for that? Let's do business with God right now. Let's all pray right now. Heavenly Father, God, our circumstances sometimes are favorable, and sometimes they're not. I pray you'll help us to see beyond our circumstances to the Savior who is for us. I pray that you'll teach us and grow us through everything we experience, that we might understand you better and live for you more. God, give us faith to endure when life is tough and faith to be faithful when life is easy. God, I want to pray for anybody in this room that you're dealing with to be saved, that you would prick their hearts and they would cry out to you and, and just pray to be forgiven, to be given a new life. Lord, I, I, I beg that they would cry out to you right now and ask to be saved. God, I pray you will be with Recreate Church. I thank you so much that we're experiencing the bounce back and we pray you'll send more and more. God, lead us through these coming months to the end of the year. Be with my family, Lord, and each family here represented. God, do mighty things that can only be explained through your presence and your power. In Jesus' name, amen.